Hey, what's up, everybody? Happy Easter. Good to see you. Man, it is a packed house today. Wall to wall, front to back, absolutely packed. This is so fun. We should do this next week. We should do this next week. We have services at 9.30 and 11.15, and I would love to see you next week. And if not, I'll see you again at Christmas. <laughs> Hope you don't die in between then. That would be really bad. Kidding. 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 Okay. That's really bad. Pastors should not make bad jokes. Okay. So, hey, if this is your first time here, my name is Kyle. I'm the lead pastor of the church, and I am so glad that you're here today. And um, I, I want to encourage you that um, you, you, you made a good decision today to come to church and experience Jesus. I believe today, by the way, is not just going to be filling your head with head knowledge, but I believe everybody today is going to experience the risen Jesus today. And so I'm so glad that you are here. And today I want to preach a message out of John chapter 11 that I'm calling, I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection and the life. We've been in this series over the past couple of weeks. If you've missed it, you can watch online. But in this series, talking about the I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John. I am statements or claims of divinity, where Jesus is saying, I am God, but then he's saying, I'm the bread of life. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's saying who he is. And today, I want to talk to you about this last I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Have, have you ever been into these like murder mystery podcasts like my wife at, like my wife is anybody like serial on on podcasts or come on just shout at me you guys are so quiet just shout at me if you watch those or if you listen to those okay okay um anybody watch like on Netflix all these documentaries and it's like I think he did it I don't think he did do it right and um I don't really watch them my wife watches them and she'll listen to them but every now and then I'll get sucked in by one important part and that is always the motive I always want to know, like, what's the motive? Why did this person attack that person with that brutal weapon? Why did they do what they did? Why did they go after that person the way they did? And it's always a motive. And sometimes the motive is really juicy and really crazy. And sometimes the motive is really simple. And it's not really that big of a deal, right? Well, I did it because she cooked my eggs wrong. And so can't have that, right? And then there's other people where there's like a love triangle and this one loves that one who loves that one but doesn't love this one and that one kills that one. You know, it's crazy, right? These murder mystery podcasts are so interesting to me, but it got me thinking at Easter, what was the motive that got Jesus killed? Like, what was the thing? You know, we always talk about how Jesus died to save, our, to save us from our sins. We know why Jesus chose to go to the cross. But why did people choose to take a man and put him on a cross who had done nothing wrong? What was the plot? What was the motive? What was the moment that they chose to kill Jesus? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in their telling of the story, they say it was because he was doing many signs and he was talking about himself and his teaching and his signs were getting the religious leaders of the day to a point where they're like, we got to get rid of this man. But John takes it a step further in his gospel, and he lays out a specific moment, a specific miracle, and a specific teaching that was the moment that all the religious leaders said, it's done, it's over, we've got to put Jesus to death. Listen to this in John chapter 11. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them that what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Listen to that statement one more time. He's performing many signs and wonders. If we let him go on like this, many people will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. 
Something happened on this day, on this moment that we're about to talk about, that made the leaders, the religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day, so mad, so angry, and so fearful that people were going to believe in Jesus, that they said, we've got to put this man to death. And they started making plots to kill Jesus. What was it that happened on this day? Jesus raised a man from the dead on this day. Now, Jesus raised many people from the dead. There's two others recorded in scripture. One is he is on his way. He's, he's walking and he sees a funeral procession come by. And on a funeral procession, a lot of times when someone had just died, they would put him in a casket and they would carry them through the town. And while they were carrying them, people would come and they would mourn with the family. And Jesus sees this, this family, this widow and her teenage son going through the town and the teenage son has passed away. And Jesus sees it and he goes and the Bible says he grabbed the casket, touched the man, and he sat up and began to talk. So he raised a teenage boy from death to life. There's another story of Jairus's daughter who is very sick. She's very sick and she's about to die. And he goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, please, would you come and would you heal my daughter? But as they're standing there, he gets word that the daughter has died. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. She's not dead. She's only sleeping. And he goes into the room and he puts everyone else out of the room except for his three closest disciples. And he calls the girl to get up and she gets up. This is the second time he raises someone from the dead. But the third time, he raises someone, and this is a little bit different than the other times. This is about a man named Lazarus. Here's what the Bible says about the resurrection of Lazarus. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. Lazarus means God will help. Bethany means in the land of the afflicted. So this man is God will help in the land of the afflicted. And so now a certain man was ill, God will help in the land of the afflicted, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. This man was a different man because it wasn't a stranger that Jesus encountered. This was a friend of Jesus. Jesus was friends with Lazarus. He was friends with Mary. He was friends with Martha. This was a beloved family that followed him and loved him and served him. And Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick. And Jesus, unlike the other two times where he is moved with compassion and immediately raises somebody, Jesus delays. He puts a pause. He says, this illness is not going to lead to death, but this is for the glory of God. And so he puts a little pause there. Now, in that pause, over the next couple of days, Lazarus declines very quickly and he dies. And not only does Jesus, Jesus waits a little longer and a little longer. And before long, he's been dead for four days. This is a close friend of Jesus. Jesus has the power to raise people from death to life, but he delays. Listen to this passage right here in John chapter 11. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. This is four, uh, uh, he's been dead now for four days. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead for four days. By this time there will be an odor for he has been dead for four days. A couple years ago was winter time and our house was warm and outside was cold and mice want to be where it's warm and not where it's cold. So the mice ran to our house, they went under our house, and they started to try to find a way into our house. And so the mice at night, we would be asleep and we would hear scratch, scratch, scratch in the wall of our home. And my wife was like, get up and kill that mouse. And I'm like, I don't even know where the mouse is. It's in a wall, it's somewhere. And even if I did know where it is, I'm not killing a mouse. You know me, right? I'm, I'm calling somebody to kill a mouse. I'm not killing a mouse, right? And you know, Kenzie's getting up and she's getting her tennis racket and she's getting, and I'm just like, babe, just go to sleep. It's okay. 
Mice are cute and nice and they've never hurt anybody, so let's just go to bed. We go to sleep and the next morning it begins. We smell the worst smell we've ever smelled in our life. This mouse found his way into our house but could not find his way out of our house and he died in our wall in between our bedroom and our closet where we keep all of our, like, like all of our clothes, right? So every time I would go to a meeting, I'd be like, guys, I'm sorry if I smell like death. But a mouse just died in my wall, and now my clothes smell like this. And, you know, everybody's, like, kind of holding their breath when they're around you, and you're meeting someone for lunch, and they're just like, I'm just not hungry today, you know? And you're like, what's going on, right? And we, our clothes smelled bad. Our carpet in our, in our bedroom smelled bad. We had to rip our carpet out. We had to wash our clothes over and over and over, and eventually just threw them away and bought new clothes. The smell of death permeates, right? The smell of death gets into things. And in Jesus's day, they did not embalm, the Jews did not embalm the dead, which means four days in, Lazarus was stinky. In fact, the King James says he stinketh. (laughs) So Lazarus was stinky and he was dead and he was dead, dead. The Jews believed, by the way, that it was possible that a spirit or a soul hovered around a body for three days after their their death. But on the fourth day, the spirit and the soul were gone. So when Jesus waits four days, not only is he dead, not only does he stink, but now they're saying, I mean, the spirit's long gone. Here's another thing that's happened in four days. Not only has he died, but it is Jewish custom that for 30 days after the death of a loved one, the women would gather in the home and they would weep and wail and cry and mourn for 30 days the loss of this person. Now, the other two people where Jesus encountered, there almost wasn't even time. When he went to the the girl and he raised her up, she had just died. But in this case, all the people would have been gathered around to mourn for Lazarus. The Meal train would have already been prepped and people are showing up with DoorDash and bringing all the food to the family and coming and rallying around the family. And so not only did you smell the smell of death, but you also heard the sound of death. What did it sound like? It sounded like a room full of people weeping and wailing at the loss of Lazarus. And when Jesus walks in, he walks into a scene, not just of she just died, but let's pray for her but they walk into a completely hopeless, completely desolate scene. So Jesus walks in and he says, move the stone away. And Martha says, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God. This reminds me of a psalm that King David wrote. He said, I would have lost hope unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And here Jesus is saying, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. I just want to make note, John makes it very clear. The same man who had died was the man who came out. This was not some elaborate party trick planned by Mary and Martha and Lazarus where they said, okay, Lazarus is dead. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna put a a decoy in the tomb with him for four days, and then Jesus is gonna come, and he's gonna say, get out, and when they open the thing, he's, the, the decoy is gonna come out. Oh man, he raised from the dead. No, this is not a party trick. This is not a bad magic trick. This is not one of those magic tricks my daughters try to play on me at home. This is literally the, the same guy who was dead is the same guy who comes out of the grave. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips. There was one atheist who tried to dispute this story, and he said, how is it possible that Lazarus came out of the tomb 
if his hands and his feet and his face were still bound, which leaves me with all kinds of really fun imaginations. He's saying, well, that proves that he didn't actually come out. Well, there's several ways he could have come out, right? His, His hands and feet bound. Lazarus comes out. Right? There's also this. Rolling on the ground. He also could have come out doing the worm. There's several ways he could have come out. Here's what we know. He didn't come out like, oh man. He either came out bouncing out, rolling out, jumping out, dancing out. There's some way he came out that was more than just, oh wow, what has happened to me? He came bouncing out or jumping out or rolling out or something, but he was still bound. He was bound his hands and his feet with what? With the clothes of death. We have the smell of death. We have the sound of death. We have the garments of death. But that same guy comes rolling out, jumping out, shouting out, whatever. And he comes out in those clothes and his face wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. Here's a man who was dead and he was good and dead for four days. And he comes out and not only does he come out, but God says, Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. What was he bound by? He was bound by the shackles of death. He was bound by the clothes of death. He was bound by the things that were, you know, that he was clothed in for death. He was bound by those things. And Jesus says, take them off of him, unbind him, let him go. Now it's not just this miracle because this miracle now, there was tons of people in the town waiting to, to uh, they, were, they were wailing with Mary and Martha. They were serving Mary and Martha. They were there mourning with Mary and Martha. There was all these people and all these people saw the man that they were mourning is now walking around. Now this is not like the other stories where maybe a few people were there and saw. This is a story where tons of people would have seen and they would have known, man, I saw with my own eyes the man that was dead is now walking around. It's not just what he does that gets back to the Pharisees that make the Pharisees say, this is why we have to kill him. But it's also what Jesus says. It's not just what he does, it's also what he says. Right before he raises Lazarus to life, this happens with Mary and Martha. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And anyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. In Martha's day, there was different views on the resurrection. The Sadducees, they believed that there was no resurrection. They believed that your life here on earth, you could walk with God and know God, but when you died, you went into eternal blackness, eternal shadow, eternal, just, it's like an eternal sleep with no resurrection. And I remembered this as a kid because they said, the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. So the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. The Pharisees did believe in a resurrection. And what they believed and what they taught was that on the final day that we would rise again, some to eternal damnation and some to life. Some of us would live again in life and some of us would live again in punishment But on the final day, God is going to raise up his people. Martha says to Jesus, yes, I've heard the teaching. I believe that he will rise again on the last day. What is she doing? She's doing a theological answer to Jesus. The Pharisees are right. The Sadducees are wrong. You're right. Lazarus is going to rise again on the last day. What do you do with someone who's just gone through something terrible? A lot of times we try to comfort them. We try to give them hope. We try to give them something to hold on to. 
And I think Mary, uh, Martha thinks that Jesus is just giving her something nice to hold on to. Lazarus will rise again. And she says, well, yeah, in the last day. The Pharisees are right, and in the last day, he will rise again. But Jesus responds to her, I am the resurrection and the life. What is he saying in this statement? He's saying the resurrection is not an event. The resurrection is a person. He's saying the resurrection is not something that's going to happen many, many years from now. The resurrection, you are looking at him right now, Martha. The resurrection is not a thing that's going to happen to you. It's a person you are going to encounter. The resurrection is not, it's not an event, it's a person. But then he takes it a step further and he adds, and the life. You see, the Pharisees believed that when you rose again, you either were raised to damnation or to life. And Jesus takes it a step further and says, you're not just going to be raised by me. I am the life that you are going to have. I am the resurrection and the life. There have been all kinds of people who have wondered about life. You know, where is, is there life out on Mars? Is there life out in the universe? Is there life, you know, we're sending rovers to Mars to try to find life. We're sending, uh, we're sending missions out into the universe to try to find life, right? The Chinese are sending balloons over our country to, find, to try to find intelligent life and they can't find it anywhere. So, so we're all trying to find, we're all trying to find life. Where is it? Where does it exist? Is it out there? Is it over there? You know, where is life? Biologically, there's people who try to create life in petri dishes. Literally, there was a man who tried to recreate an experiment to create life and he couldn't do it. What is life? What is the source of life? Can we make life? Can we control life? Right? And then there's people, maybe not biologically, but maybe philosophically, what is the good life? You know, money is life. Power is life. Pleasure is life. Chipotle is life. Right? Um, there's, different, there's different people who theorize about what the good life is. The good life is a life with a lot of money, a lot of power, a lot of pleasure. It's, it's a life with three homes. It's a life with a, with a private jet. It's a life with a yacht. It's a life. That's the good life. But Jesus is answering here, I am the life. In other words, if you have money and you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. If you have the wife of your dreams and you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. If you have the yacht and you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. If you have all the vacation homes and all the private jets and all the power and all the authority, if you're the president of the United States and you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. The most powerful person in the universe without Jesus doesn't have life. We sang about it this morning, but Jesus is the name above every other name. In other words, he is at the top of the leaderboard in every area. I just went bowling with some friends recently and I was so proud that I was at the top of the leaderboard, right? Bowling, come on. At the top of the leaderboard. There's different people who can climb the ladder of smartness, of intelligence, of character, of whatever. No ladder can touch Jesus at the top of the leaderboard. He is the life. He's the resurrection and the life. It is this day and this moment, this moment, that makes the Pharisees say, we have to put an end to this. If we keep on this way, many people will believe in Jesus. If we let him keep raising people from the dead, if we let him keep preaching that he's the resurrection and the life, if we do that, many people will believe in him. You know, you know what makes me sick is that in that moment, the religious leaders were the ones saying, we have to stop people from believing in Jesus. Why? Because what they said was, if many believe, the Romans will come and they'll take away our place and they'll mess with our nation. Our politics, our structure, our power, our position, our authority, Jesus messes it all up. If Jesus come, if, if many people believe in Jesus, it's going to mess up my little perfect life with my political authority that I have, with my structure that I have, with my, you know, my, my, my clean, you know, I'm, I'm serving God. I'm serving God. I'm honoring God. These people, these leaders had a form of godliness while they were rejecting the very power 
which was Jesus. Their life looked right, they obeyed all the rules, they did all the right stuff, and yet they rejected the resurrection and the life. So from that day, they said, we've gotta put death. We gotta put the resurrection and the life, we have to put him to death. It was the resurrection of Lazarus that made them say, we need a crucifixion of Jesus. So now Jesus has raised three people from the dead. This event happens somewhere between winter and spring. It happens between the Feast of Dedication and the Feast of Passover. Somewhere in that time frame is where John puts this, which means it is possible that for weeks, days, maybe even months, the religious leaders were plotting the death of Jesus. Every day they were coming into the temple, they were making sacrifices, they were killing the sheep, they were offering burnt offerings before God, and then they would turn around and they would roll out their plans. How do we kill this man? So they would, in some sense they would say, we're trying to help the connection with Jesus or with God, and then they would say, let's put this man to death. So they devise a plan, and they come up with a plan. Now, why do you need a plan? Doesn't everyone know who Jesus is? Why, like at this point, he's famous. Doesn't everyone know who he is? Well, this isn't a day, not of Instagram and TikTok and all that stuff. You don't know, you hear about these people, but you don't always see who they are. And so Jesus would go do a miracle, and then he would go into hiding. And so the Pharisees devised this plan, and they say to Judas, they say to anybody who will, if you'll tell us where he is, we'll give you money. Judas takes them up on the offering, and he says, I'll tell you where Jesus is if you give me 30 pieces of silver. Judas is one of the closest followers of Jesus in the sense that he is close in proximity. He's close in proximity with Jesus. Now, his heart was far from Jesus, but he was at the table with Jesus. The day that Lazarus was raised from the dead, Judas was there. Judas is watching all of this. He is close in proximity to Jesus, but then he goes and he says, guys, I know where Jesus is. The night of Passover, when Jesus breaks bread and hands it out and says, this is my body, which is for you, and when he takes the cup and he hands it out and he says, this is my blood, this is the new covenant confirmed in my blood, that night, uh, when Judas had taken it, the Bible says Satan entered him. Now, what's interesting to me is that all the people that ate that night some took the bread and the cup and they received Jesus, but Judas took the bread and the cup and he received Satan. What does that mean? That means that you can be in church, you can be present, you can be physically close, and yet your heart can be so far from God because you don't actually care about Jesus as the resurrection and the life. You only care about what he can do for you. You only care about the benefits he can bring to your life. You only care about the financial gain. You only care, are you hearing me today? The same cup that drank, that ate and drank life to the disciples, ate and drank judgment on Judas. So that night he leaves and he walks out and he betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And later on in the story, he hangs and kills himself because he just can't deal with what he has done. He hangs and he kills himself. He turns Jesus in. The Bible says that Jesus is out in the Garden of Gethsemane and Judas knows where he is, so he brings the people there and he kisses Jesus, betrays him with a kiss. Jesus is taken and even while he's being taken, Peter goes and cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers that wants to harm Jesus and Jesus goes and he heals the man's ear. In the middle of him being captured to be crucified, he's bringing new life. They take him and they take him before the priests and the religious or, or the authorities and he's in front of Pontius Pilate, he's in front of the priests, he goes in front of Herod at one point and they're all trying to devise how can we get this guy killed without any of our hands being guilty of this murder. The Pharisees want him killed but they don't wanna take credit for it. Pilate is like, hey, I'm not taking, I'm not, his hands, his blood's not on my hands. And eventually the mob just overwhelms and they shout, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate washes his hands and he says, I can't do anything about this. Crucify him. And turns him over. He's beaten 39 lashes, 
beyond recognition, the Bible says. So much so that nobody there even could recognize who is this man. He's beaten. He's, he, he swells up. His skin is ripped raw. Isaiah would tell us 700 years before this event, he says, it was our infirmities and our afflictions and our iniquities that you carried. And it was by those stripes that we are healed. So Jesus is there and he's bearing the stripes. He's bearing the, the, the punishment. He's being beaten. He's being flogged. There's a, it's called a cat of nine tails. It's literally a whip with nine strands on it where they would put hooks and broken glass and pots and like broken pottery and all this stuff so that every single time that it would rip, it would dig into the, his skin and rip his flesh raw. He was beaten 39 times. Why 39? Because if they beat him a 40th time, they would have had to have put him to death right there on the spot according to their customs. So they beat him 39. Within an inch of his life, they mocked him. They put a crown of thorns on his head and they said, here he is. This is the king of the Jews. They pushed it down on his head. They spat on him. They beat him. They, they, they ridiculed him. You said you're going to destroy the temple and raise it up again in three days. Come on. Where, what are you doing now? As they're beating him, they're mocking him. As they're beating him, they're spitting on him. As they're beating him, they're taunting him. Come on, resurrection in the life. Come on, king of the Jews. Where are you now? And the Bible says that as a sheep is silent before the slaughter, so Jesus kept his mouth shut. Now that is a miracle in and of itself. This guy can call down fire from heaven. Elijah in, in the Old Testament, I can't remember if it was Elijah or Elisha, is walking and these guys are taunting him and he curses them and a bear comes out of the woods and eats them. Jesus knows this story. While he's being beaten and abused and mocked, he has the power in him to snap his fingers and it all be over. He is the resurrection and the life, but he was silent. They took a cross and they put it on him and he carried it up a hill called Golgotha. Golgotha is a hill that literally means the place of the skull. There's many people who believe that even if you looked up, there was a rock that was in the form of a skull and they, that's the hill that they would go and kill people. They would take them up and they would kill these thieves, robbers, murderers, they would crucify them at the place of the skull. What is the resurrection in the life doing at the place of the skull? Come on, if you really are the resurrection and the life, why are you, of all people, beaten within an inch of your life, carrying a cross, going up a hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull? Jesus gets up on top of that hill. They offer him, they offer him, uh, wine and, and a cocktail essentially that would dull and numb his pain. They offer it to him and he rejects it. Now I can't say theologically that this is exactly why he rejected it, but I have to believe that he knew he was about to encounter two thieves on the cross and he wanted to be there for the conversation. They're mocking him, they're taunting him. The thieves next to him are mocking him and taunting him. And then one of them eventually has this kind of moment of almost like, are you the Messiah? And just that little bit of faith, Jesus turns to him and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. On the cross, he's promising new life. On the cross, he is saying, you're going to be with me. He has the right to do so. He can invite whoever he wants to invite. He can bring in whoever he wants to bring in. Why? Because he is the resurrection and the life. We, we, we do this thing now that our kids are getting older. We let them make the invite list to the party. We let them say, who do you want to invite to your party? you know, scout, you're four now, who do you want to invite? And it's the cutest thing to see the list of people that they invite. They have the right to invite whoever they want to invite because it's their party. Jesus on the cross is talking to a man who shows a little bit of faith and he invites him into the resurrection and the life. Today you will be 
with me. Where is that? That's life. So he says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. At, at some point, Jesus breathes his last breath. And the Romans go and they stab his side. And out of his side gushes water and blood, which is a sign that he had been dead. He had died of asphyxiation, that his lungs had filled with water and blood. They stabbed him and it came out. Jesus truly died. He didn't faint. He didn't pass out. He didn't barely survive. He was dead. They took him off of the cross. They put him in a, dead man's, uh, in a rich man's tomb named, named Joseph. They put him in this tomb. They rolled a stone in front of it, and they put Roman guards there. Roman guards, if they fell asleep on the job, their punishment was death. If you fell asleep on the job and you weren't watching who you were supposed to watch, your punishment was death. These guys did not fall asleep. They took their job very seriously. They were on either side guarding that stone. For three days, his disciples thought, I just heard him say he's the resurrection and the life. I just watched him raise Lazarus from, from death to life. I have to believe that Lazarus is scratching his head. I was dead and now I'm alive and now this man is in the tomb. For three days, they had no hope. They had no trust. They, had, they, were, they were despairing. And that Sunday morning came. The women got up in the morning and they went to lay things at the tomb. And they realized when they get there that the tomb is open and the tomb is empty. And the angels say, why are you looking for the living among the dead. Why are you looking for life in dead places? Here's what's interesting to me. When Lazarus was called out of the tomb, he was called out by Jesus and he was still bound. And his death had to be, un, he had to be unbound from the clothes of death. But Jesus' clothes are all right there, not holding him back not binding him. When you and I are raised to new life, we have to be unbound from the death that's had us. But Jesus doesn't have to be unbound because he was never held by those things. Jesus didn't get killed. He laid his life down. They're looking at him and they're saying, you know, Pilate is negotiating with him. I have the power to do this and this. And Jesus responds to him, no, you can't take my life. Only I can lay it down. You cannot kill the resurrection and the life. He has to choose to lay down his life. You can't kill him. Christians are like the best zombies ever. Like every time you try to, you try to kill Easter people, every time you try to kill resurrection people, Man, there's new life. He is the resurrection and the life. So he raises from the dead. I love in the book of John, it says that when Peter and Paul hear, or when Peter and John hear about this, that they run to the empty tomb. And I love that John just throws in the detail and John outran Peter. <laughs> just make sure we get it in holy scripture, inspired by God, Everyone needs to know for ages and ages to come that John ran faster. They get to the empty tomb. The resurrection and the life. Why do you search for the living among the dead? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Now here's what blows my mind about this story. We often talk about what happened to Jesus that day. But we totally forget that wasn't the only resurrection that happened. When Jesus died, the Bible says that there was a violent earthquake and that tombs shook open and there were saints of old. I don't know how long they were in there. Some a week, some a month, some a hundred years, some 700 years. Some, I don't know. I don't know how long they were in there. 
When Jesus died, the tombs shook and the saints got out of the grave and were walking around the town and people were seeing them and reporting. I saw Fred. Did you guys see Fred? I got eyes on Beverly. Do you guys see Beverly? I got a Lenny over here and I got, you know, like I'm seeing all of them. And, and what is this? That had, man, this is a peculiar thing. Jews did not believe that dead things rose back to life. This was not like a bunch of people who were simpletons who just accepted things. These are people who are like, I saw the saints walking around our town. When Jesus died and rose again, not only did he raise uh, the, the widow's son, not only did he raise Jairus' daughter, not only did he raise Lazarus, not only did he raise himself, he raised up the saints at the same time. And his followers who would later follow him, Peter and Paul, Peter raises a guy named Dorcas. What a great name. Paul raises a young man named Eutychus. He's preaching and the room is packed and Paul is taking way too long to preach like I am right now. And Eutychus falls out of a window. He falls asleep and falls out of a window and dies. And Paul raises him up. You can remember this one because Eutychus too, if you fell out a window and died. <laughs> and he raised him up. Not only is Jesus the resurrection in the life, but he gives us the resurrection in the life and his people are resurrection in life people. We are not walking around among the dead. We are walking among the living. He is the resurrection and the life, which means today, no matter what stench surrounds you, no matter what dead clothes bind you, no matter what you can say, I have the resurrection in the life. I have Jesus. Because I have Jesus, I have life. And because I have Jesus, I have the resurrection. This sickness that I'm walking through right now, it doesn't end in death. I know what the end of the story is. You know, this thing that I'm dealing with right now, it doesn't end in a bad way. I know what the story is. But Kyle, man, we all go through hard things. Yes, his disciples were crucified. The very ones who saw him crucified, they then are crucified and beaten and murdered and brutal things happen to them. And you know why they're able to go through it? People who once were scaredy cats, now they're going through it with faith and confidence because they had encountered the resurrection and the life. There, I want to I give you this. I, I want you to know this. There's five theories of what happened that day. Five theories of what happened that day. The first one's called the swoon theory. Is made by atheists who say Jesus just fainted. That's all that happened was he fainted. He didn't actually die. How does a man who fainted roll away a stone? How does a man who fainted fight off Roman guards? How does a man who fainted, he didn't faint. He was, he was dead. The scriptures tell us he was dead. Out of his side came blood and water. So that theory makes no sense. Here's the second one. It's called the conspiracy theory. The conspiracy theory is that the disciples stole the body of Jesus and that they made up the whole story. You know what I love about this theory? Is it admits that the body of Jesus has never been found. The conspiracy theory meant to disprove the resurrection of Jesus admits the body of Jesus has never been found. And here's the thing. Many people might make up a lie, but 500 people plus saw the resurrected Jesus. People were being murdered, fed to lions, crucified for stating this. How many people do you know that would be willing to go to the death for a lie and not one of them, not one of them ever said, I'm just kidding, I made it all up. Every single one of them because they had encountered the real resurrection and the life. The next one is called the, uh, can't remember, the hallucination theory. This theory believes that they, the disciples were just hallucinating. But here's, here's what we know is that they, didn't, they weren't just seeing things. They ate with Jesus. Jesus ate their fish. Does a hallucination steal my lunch? No. Thomas, because of his doubt, said, I want to touch the wounds. I want to touch them. This was not a hallucination. They saw the real resurrected Jesus. The next theory is called the myth theory. The myth theory says that it was all made up hundreds of years later. 
But what we know is that Peter was actually preaching the resurrected Jesus just days and weeks later. Myths don't make any, here's the thing about the myth theory is the, the first to declare the resurrected Jesus were women. You never, ever, ever, ever in Jewish time would take a woman to court to, to be a witness because they were deemed unreliable in court. That's horrible, I know. But they were deemed unreliable in court, so they said, we're not, we're not gonna trust women to give us an account. The first people to tell this story are women. If you were gonna make up a story, that's a really dumb way to make up a story. Guys, trust us, the women saw. They're like, we don't take women seriously. Like they, in their culture, they didn't trust the women. But in this story, why, why, why were the women the first? Because they were the first there. All the men were asleep and all the women were up. <laughs> they saw Jesus first. That's why 8 a.m. was nothing but women, okay? <laughs> Peter was preaching Jesus days and weeks after the resurrection. The same guy that denied Jesus three times stood up in front of thousands of people and declared Jesus. That's pretty, pretty powerful. Here's the last theory of what happened that day. Jesus really rose from the dead. Jesus really rose from the dead. Listen to this, what Paul says. Paul says, for I delivered to you of what's in first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then all, to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Listen to this. Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. All of our faith, all of our hope is not in a theology degree. It's not in all the perfect understanding of this and that. All of our faith and all of our hope is not even in an event. It is in the person of Jesus who is the resurrection and the life. He really died, he really was buried, and he really rose again. And because of that, you and I have new life in Jesus. I'm gonna end with this. All of the I am statements have a response from us. Listen to this. I am the bread of life, come and eat. I am the light of the world, follow. I am the door of the sheep, enter. I am the good shepherd, no, follow. I am the way, the truth, and the life, believe. I am the true vine, abide. Listen to this. I am the resurrection and the life, believe and live. Believe and live. This is how we live. This is how Easter people live. This is how Easter people have peace that surpasses all understanding. This is how Easter people trust God in the middle of the toughest situations of their life. This is how Easter people can face troubles and trials and tribulations with confidence. How? Because we live by faith. We live by faith, what? In Jesus, our resurrection and our life. If I have Jesus and you can strip me of everything else, but if I have Jesus, I have everything. If I am in Jesus, I have life. Come on, we are resurrection people today. And we're gonna believe and we're gonna live. Believe and live. I'm gonna pray a prayer for you. Bow your head and close your eyes. God, right now in this room, there are people who are far from you. And I wanna give them an opportunity, just like you asked Martha. Martha, do you believe this? I wanna give our church an opportunity today to respond with faith. Church, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? And if you do, Jesus says, if you believe and live in me, yet you die, though you shall live. Even if you die, you are going to live eternally with Jesus, because he's the resurrection and the life. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, you feel far from God and you wanna say, you know what, today I believe and I'm gonna live in Jesus. If that's you, you wanna say yes to Jesus for the first time all across this room, would you just lift your hands wherever you are? 
Just lift your hands. Yep, hands going up. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Just raise your hand up real high. Yes, I want to say yes. Yes. Another hand, another hand. Yes. I want to say yes to Jesus. All across this room, all the people who've just raised your hand, I want you to pray a prayer something like this. Jesus, thank you for dying for me on the cross, for taking my sin and shame and giving me new life. You took my place and you're inviting me to share in your place. You took my death to give me new life. So today I receive that life. Wash me of my sin, purify me, and help me to be the new creation you've called me to be. Help me to believe and live by Jesus for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, come on, everybody said amen, amen, amen. Hey, real quick. We got, we got a couple more songs and they're good ones, so don't leave, okay? We got a couple more songs and they're good ones. But I wanna invite you, if you just said yes to Jesus, I wanna, I wanna invite you to connect with us. We wanna meet you. We wanna help you on your walk with Jesus. Pastor Lenny, who's right here on the front, is gonna be right back there and he would love to meet you right after the service. We have a gift that we wanna give you. Do not walk with Jesus alone, but do it along with the church. Do it along with people who can help you be resurrection people. Listen, you're not going to find help in the land of the dead. You're going to find help in the land of the living. And so do it in church. Be a part of church. I want to pray one more prayer, an Easter prayer for you. And then let's do this again next week. Okay. Same place, same time. See you next week. Okay. Let's, let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. We thank you today for Easter. We thank you that everyone's gonna have a great day with their family, their friends, whoever they're hanging out with today. But God, I pray in the middle of it all, all the festivities, all the things that we do, that you would be central to everything. You would be on, on everyone's minds and hearts, that we would be clinging to you as our resurrection and our life. We thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, come on. Everybody said amen. amen.